a few announcements first, and then we'll get into this final lesson of our series, Change of Heart. One is this coming Friday is that Mud Hens game that I've been talking about. Now, I've only mentioned it because some of you are relatively new, and we offer these things as a way for you to be able to get to know folks in a setting outside of church. So if you can make it, I'd encourage you to, to come. This Friday, you can go to our website, cbctrenton.com, and you can purchase the tickets there. This ends the uh, Change of Heart series today, and then next week I'm going to do just a short series that, for lack of a better uh, term, I call uh, Personalities of Sin. So this is taking a look at the way sin shows up in different kinds of personalities. So I'll be talking about you next week. I'll be talking about me next week. And uh, then how, how we handle some of the ways that, that those show up. Our next newcomer's orientation, for those of you that have never taken the newcomer's orientation, that's a four-week class during this hour, our second hour. I lead that class, and um, it is to give you information about our church. It is strictly informational. It obligates you to nothing, but we offer it a handful of times a year in order for those who have come, who are checking out the church, to be able to get a deeper dive into what we believe and why we do things the way we do. Uh, it's an intimate, set, short, small setting, so you can ask any questions of me at that time. So we're going to have that coming up on September the 3rd. September the 3rd for four weeks during this hour will be the next newcomer's orientation. So if you've never taken that, I would encourage you to, to consider it. Our next baptism is on November the 5th, November the 5th. If you've never been baptized, that's a requirement for membership. Uh, more important, it's something that the Lord commands of us. Uh, if you don't know what that is, you don't know what the requirements are, we have a one-page application for that. You can pick it up at the Welcome Center desk in the foyer and fill that out, give it to them, they'll get it to me, and then we'll go from there. In between that, there's the newcomer's orientation, there's the baptism in November. October the 1st, on October the 1st, we're going to be sending mailers around to the community as we do three times a year for series that we do during this hour. And that series is going to be called God's Design for Sexuality, and it's going to deal with uh, all of what the Bible says about that, but also uh, some of the cultural upheaval that we are experiencing, having rejected God's design for, for sexuality. We'll address uh, some of that as well. That starts on October 1st. So that's just some of what's coming up. Today we conclude the Change of Heart series. And if you've been with us for this, you know that there have been three sections. The first section and the first few lessons were a change of perspective. And we said there that we all need a change of perspective that goes from the inside out rather than the outside in. That is, most of us, with the issues that we have in our lives, we look outside of ourselves for the cause and when, in fact, that's the stimulus, but it's not the cause. It's, it, it stimulates, it's the circumstance, it's the environment in which you react and act, but it's not the cause of the, the problems that, that we have. But most of us are inclined to look in that direction. We look outward first rather than inward. So we need a change of perspective from outside in to inside out. We also need a change of counselor, and we need a counselor who is outside, forgive the grammar, who is outside the mess we is in. 
okay? That we're all in the mess, we all contribute to the mess in a fallen world. We need a counselor that's outside of that and can diagnose uh, that and give the solution. And that, of course, is, is God himself. Thankfully, God is glad to be our counselor and has given us a guidebook for life in, in the scriptures. So God is the ultimate psychologist uh, for us. So we need a change of perspective. We need a change of counselor through his word. And we need a change, thirdly, regarding changing. That you may be in a circumstance that's chronic. It may be beyond your control to change. And for his good purposes, God has chosen, at least to this point, not to change it. And this side of heaven, we have no guarantee that, that he will. And so we then need a, a change regarding changing. Rather than demanding change, we desire change. It's perfectly legitimate for us to desire our circumstances to change, but we can't demand that, and we must uh, align ourselves with what God has sovereignly allowed into our lives. All right, so that's where we've been. And the reason I've given you one page in this final, uh, final session is because this one page really summarizes uh, in a chart and then some explanation to the chart everything that goes on in life and the solution to it in the middle there in, in the cross of Christ. Now, I apologize for the blurriness of the chart. I mean, some of the text you just can't read. I, I apologize. So what I'm going to do here is just take a minute to uh, tell you where the chart comes from, and then I'm going to read what it says so that you at least have an idea in those blurry spaces what they are. But this chart comes from the late David Paulison, and he was the editor of the Journal of Biblical Counseling, and he was also a teacher and counselor in Philadelphia at the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, CCEF. We have a number of the books written by the CCEF faculty in our resource center, and we highly recommend their ministry. It's just golden. It's just got wisdom uh, and insight for all kinds of, of issues that we face. And David Paulison was at the, the heart of that ministry, and he was taken too soon. He was in his early 60s, and he contracted an illness, and he's with the Lord now. But from our perspective, we certainly wish we had him for another 20 years. Uh, I had him as a teacher in Philadelphia uh, at Westminster Seminary, which is right across the street, literally right across the street from CCEF, uh, and that was one of the great joys of my life. Some of you, some of the folks in our church, are taking classes right now online from CCEF. And some of you watched uh, the, in your very first course in uh, in that series of courses for counseling, uh, you had David Paulison. And he taught a course called Dynamics of Biblical Change. And every person that in our church who's taken that has told me uh, how wonderful it is, and I know that firsthand as, as well. But this chart is from him. This chart is from David Paulison. It looks uh, simple, it's well, somewhat busy, but it is uh, profound in that what it, what it covers. This chart is also explained in one of the books that we have in the Resource Center called How People Change. How People Change. So you will see a variation of this. Uh, it's really all the same elements. just arranged uh, instead of in an almost square, it's a circle. 
but same thing. And how people change, in case you want to get more on, on that. So here's what that chart says. At the very top, well, you notice that they are numbered. Um, those little round brown circles are numbers. And the bottom half of the page is numbered 1 through 8. And you have eight circled numbers in that chart. The first one is heat, and that's at the very top in the middle. And then the second one, the bad fruit, is on the far right in the middle. That's number two, bad fruit. So it goes in this order, this sequence. Heat, the bad fruit, but then you've got the bad root, which is in the shaded area down at the bottom on the right. Bad root, that's number three. Number four is back up in the white area on the right, just above the scraggly tree there, the tree with no fruit. And that is a number four up at the top. Number five is down at the bottom in the middle, under the cross where it says Redeemer. That's number five. And then going to the left of that, you have good root, that's six. Good fruit, above that is number seven. And then number eight is at the top of that fruitful tree. Now, there's some wording underneath each of those that I will read as we go, but I just wanted you to know what each of those, each of those is. So, if you want to be a counselor, a biblical counselor, this is what you would master. You would master this chart. And this is what you will be taught in a number of ways if you take the courses at CCEF. Our church is in the process of uh, creating the structure for and the infrastructure for our future counseling center. And that's why some of the folks in the church have started taking these, these classes. And so maybe you'll be a part of that in the future. If, uh, if not, if, um, you can take the classes for your, your own benefit. They're not cheap. I sh should let you know that. But, um, but they're very, very, very helpful. And this is what it is you would be mastering. And... This is what I've used for years when I'm counseling people. In fact, when folks come to me for counsel, I have a single, I have a single page sheet in which I've distilled these eight things into four. And when you start talking to me, I'm writing stuff into one of those four categories. Um, and then it may fill up many pages, but nonetheless, that's how I'm getting, getting your story and trying to organize it in a biblically uh, justified, biblically justified way. Now, I want you to notice this about the chart. Notice that in that sequence, going from, going from 1 to 8, that it begins 1 and 2, 1 is with the heat and then 2 is off to the right with the bad fruit. It begins with what you can see, what's exposed what's above ground. And that's important because that's where most people focus. We focus on 
our presenting problem, when somebody comes for help, th their presenting problem is what they present to you. And they'll be presenting the stuff that's above ground. And what you want to do is show them that handling the stuff that's above ground and seeing better and different results come out of that for you is based upon what happens under the ground. So you're trying to help them see, or I'm trying to help them see, or whoever the counselor is, we're trying to help them see what it is they don't see when they first come. What they first see when they first come is just the stuff above. The heat. I'll talk about the heat. And then the, and then the fruit, the, the, bad, the bad fruit. But what they don't see is that that stuff is related to underground, the bad root. And so the counselor needs to then try to take them from what's exposed to what is hidden so that they can see as a result of spending time with you or spending time with me or whoever the counselor may be, things that they didn't when they first came. So what I'd like to do is go through these then in sequence, starting with the, starting with the heat. And the heat is your circumstance. In fact, that's what it says up at the, at the top. What is your situation? That's what it says under heat. What is your situation? So that's just the... The sun there, it's the heat of life. It's what's going on in my life. And you get that when you do self-diagnosis or when someone comes to, to talk to you for, for help. It's whatever is, is going on. And the sun then, of course, uh, relates to these trees that are seeking to grow. One of them does grow for reasons that we'll see. The other one doesn't for reasons that that we will, we will see. Now, as somebody describes their situation, their heat, as you, tr as you try to help them, or again, if you're doing self-diagnosis to try to help yourself, it, it requires time. It requires time for you to, to think about it, hear it, assimilate it, get a full picture, as full a picture as possible of what's going on. What's going on in your situation? What's happening with, with you? So one of the principles that our friends at CCEF teach is uh, that there are these four things that you've got to do if you're going to be of help to yourself or help to somebody else. You've got to do these four things. You've got to love, you've got to know, you've got to speak, and then do. Love, know, speak, do. Love, know, speak, do. The, lo the love part is, first of all, you're motivated in this enterprise, helping yourself or helping somebody else by love for God, that you want to please God with your life. You want to help somebody else please God with their life. You have love for the other person if it's you counseling somebody. So love, no, speak, do. First thing is you've got to love God, you've got to love the, the other person. That's what's motivating you, should be motivating. And then you've got to get to know this person that you love which means you're willing to take the time to hear about the heat of their life, the circumstances, the, the, the situation that they are in. That's why it's important to have people who devote themselves to doing this kind of ministry. That's why it's important for a church that wants to see people grow in Jesus to try to develop the resources in order to have something like this and do it for other churches as well, which is what we plan to do. Because it takes time. 
And it takes a lot of time to listen to what's going on with somebody, to get to know fully what is happening with them, and to communicate to them your motivation is love for them and, and love for God. And it's then, after you do that, after you love and after you know, that's when you speak. And you speak into their situation. You give them truth, as we will see from, from Scripture. But we don't speak too quickly. We love and we, we know first. And then the do piece is we start to actually implement practices, make changes that are designed for, for better results. So let's step through each of the eight of these, starting with the heat. With that heat, you take the time to find out, love, know, speak, and do. But you're asking with the heat, what's going on? What is your situation? What happened? Who was involved? What stressors are you, you facing? What, in your relationships, at work, at school, at church, with your finances? What are your responsibilities? What did you do that you shouldn't have done? <laughs> That's got you in hot water. That's part of the heat. Okay? Maybe it's something you did. Maybe, maybe not. Who are the difficult people in your life that are part of the, your situation? The heat. When do you feel alone, misunderstood? When do you feel overwhelmed? What are your temptations? What do you fear? What are you worried about? What are you struggling with? All of that is part of the constellation of stuff that's happening and can be part of the constellation of things that are happening in somebody's life, their situation, their circumstance. And so you're asking questions. And then you want to start to begin to get to how the person thinks about the heat and the circumstance. Do they minimize how painful life can be? And because they do, then the pain that they're currently going through is more unbearable than otherwise because they, they can't fathom that life can be this painful. Do you expect life to be free of trouble? Do you try to control your life? Do you assume you can manage your way out of anything? I'll beat this. I can fix this. And then at that early stage, as you're listening and just probing, then you offer biblical truths in the midst of that, but not in a preachy way. That's the, you know, you, you hold off on the speak part as long as, as long as you can, get as much information, but inform that God does comfort in the middle of genuine difficulties in a fallen, a fallen world, so you're giving hope for that that you can learn humility and you can learn discipline in the midst of the wilderness that is the dried up existence that you have in your situation because of the heat. When you're in a situation, you're never outside of God's love. God may be taking where you, where you don't want to go to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. So you're offering just some quick perspective in the, in the heat portion. But then there's the bad, the bad fruit. So there's all the stuff that's going on in my life. And then there's the question of how do you react? That's what it says under number two. How do you react to what's going on? So what did you think? What did you feel? What did you say? What did you do? 
When have you given in to anxiety or bitterness or unbelief, anger, envy? Have you lashed out? Is that how you've reacted? Spoken rudely in a harmful way? Have you blamed others? Have you accused God? What are you not doing that you, you should be doing? And so here's some of the ways that people might do these things. Let me give you some examples. It can easily blow things out of proportion and, and, and lose perspective. They can magnify the situation beyond what it really is. Taking with my situation, with my heat, if this doesn't change, my life is over. So that's magnifying it beyond what it, beyond what it, it is. To them, it is that, but they need a proportional perspective. Or they might minimize or deny, it's no big deal, I'm fine. Or another reaction is to try to escape the pain. You try to numb the pain by satisfying your urges, your desires, your needs. Go to parties, drinking, drugs, sex, material things to numb, ease, distract, and escape reality. You might use people in order to earn their approval so that you feel loved and validated. You might become prickly and hypersensitive. Why is everyone out to get me? Defensive, attacking, avoiding people altogether. Vengeance filled with angry thoughts, demanding control, self-pity, anger. What's wrong with everybody? Paralyzed, you, you become risk-averse. You're afraid to fail, so you just kind of drop out of life. I quit life. Just other smorgasbord of bad fruit and reactions or complaining, laziness, anger, gossip, envy, lust, bitterness, avoidance, pride, indifference, rage, swearing, rants, blame, a judgmental spirit, greed, lack of self-control. In a fallen world, man, there's a ton of these, right? So you're asking about or you're analyzing for yourself what is the bad fruit? How is it that I'm reacting to, to what's going on? But then now you start to move below the, uh, the surface, below ground to number three. And number three is the bad root. What do you want and believe? That's what number three says underneath it. What do you want and believe? So the bad root is about what do, you, what do you want? And the idea here, and this is where it gets toward a solution. So far we're just talking about the problem, but now we're starting to move toward a solution because we're moving underground to what's hidden, to the literal root. And so you want to identify your heart, your desires, what it is you love, what it is you're, you're living for. So what, uh, what is it that you're, you're living for? What do you think is about what's going on? What's your interpretation? What are you rationalizing, making excuses for yourself on? And so you have, at this point, questions about God, about yourself, about other people. 
What's captured your heart? What do you think about most often? These are the, these are the root things that cause you to react the way you do. What cravings, desires, and beliefs are ruling your heart? What do you love more than God? What do you want? What do you desire, crave, long for, wish for? What do you seek? All of that. Now, with that, you're getting to, as I say, the, the, heart, of, the heart of the matter. And you're getting at what the Bible calls idols. I-D-O-L-S. So when you get to under the ground, you get to the bad root, another word for a bad root is an idol. You've got, you are infected, and your tree as a result, and the bad fruit is a result of this bad root, which the Bible calls an idol. So I want to stop, take time to make sure we understand what the Bible teaches about, about idolatry. So most of us, when we think about an idol, we think about somebody fashioning something out of matter. So they make a statue or something and they bow down before it, they pray to it. That's certainly a form of idolatry. But the Bible speaks to the heart. The Bible speaks of heart idolatry. And in fact, on, at the top of, or excuse me, in the middle of your page there, you see from Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Here's why. Four, because out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth, his mouth speaks. So what you're seeing above the surface in the reactions is because of what's below the surface, at the root. And it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth and the actions are proceeding. And if those heart reactions are contrary to the character of God, then they're idolatrous. And here's why. Do you remember who it is that's supposed to own your heart? Love the Lord your God with all of your what? God's supposed to have your heart. And what you're seeing now with these reactions that are contrary to the character of God is that at least in those instances, God does not have your heart. It's not love for God that's dominating your heart. It's love for something else. It's love for someone else. That's idolatry. Anyone or anything that is more important to you than God in a given moment is an idol. So idolatry then, biblically, is expanded. It's not just this physical thing that you bow down before. And it's also a malady that all of us need to be aware of and all of us are infected by, and it shows up then in our reactions to our heat, our situation, our circumstances. So let me go a bit further on this idolatry piece and what it, and what it is. 
If you have your, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, it's James chapter 4. If not, then take my word that I'm actually reading from James chapter 4. I read years ago about a, a young preacher who's learning to preach, and he says to an older preacher that was mentoring him, he says, uh, hey, what do you do? How should I feel when people fall asleep? And the older preacher said, don't worry about it. It means they trust you. So if you're not turning to the book, then I assume you trust me and that I'm actually reading from James chapter 4, okay? But here's what verse 1 of James 4 says. It asks this question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes fights and quarrels? So fights and quarrels would be if somebody were, if somebody were coming to you or you're looking at your own life in a relational context, that would be part of the heat. I've got some adverse relationship going on in my life. That's part of the heat. I've got this person in my life. And we have this tension. And it often breaks forth in fights and quarrels. But James is asking, what causes that? I know you got fights and quarrels. I know you got this external stuff that goes on. I know you got this bad fruit. I know you got these reactions. What I want to get to is what causes that? What causes fights and quarrels? Then he says this, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And the expected answer to that is, of course, yes. So where do the external skirmishes arise from? They come from inside. They come from your desires that battle within you. He goes on to describe the next verse, verse 2. You want something, but you don't get it. So he's describing the dynamic, the internal dynamic that's going on that comes out externally in things like fights and quarrels. And it's because of desires and it's because of what you want. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. So notice what he keeps saying here is at the root. Desires. You want something. You cannot have what you want. And then he says this in verse 4. You adulterous people. So James, you know, like most of the prophets, didn't read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. So he writes them a letter and he says, you adulterous people. So what is spiritual adultery? Spiritual adultery is leaving God for someone else or something else. Or to put it another way, idolatry. So what's happening is you've got something or someone that you desire, but you're not getting it. And that is causing then the external tension. And James calls that spiritual adultery, or another word for that is idolatry. So you say, I might have idols going on in my heart? Yep. And if you've got this kind of bad fruit reaction going on, you definitely have, at its root, idolatrous desires happening, according to Scripture. And I want you to notice from what I read here from James chapter 4, he says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? 
What he doesn't say is, don't they come from your evil desires that battle within you? In other words, it's just desires. It might not be that you desire something bad. Because when you, idolatry is bad. But the thing that you desire, the thing that you want, may not be bad in itself. It's just you want that thing too much. And you want that thing so much that you're willing to sin in its absence. So in your heart, you want something, you desire something. That something may be perfectly legitimate. So here's an example. You come home from work, you're tired, and you want peace and quiet. Is peace and quiet an evil thing? Of course not. You want something good. And so you are, as you're driving home and you're dealing with the traffic and you're having to mull over the day in your mind and all of that, and you are seeing, you can see in your mind the recliner. And you also, have, you can see the tall iced tea uh, or whatever. We'll go with iced tea, all right? Y'all go with iced tea. <laughs> and so you're going so to have that. And you can see all of that. And then when you get home, you can't pull in the garage because the kids have their bikes in the driveway. And in my, in my street, you can only park on one side of the street. So if other people are parked across the street from me, and the, and the side you can't park on is my side. <laughs> so we have to park on the other side. And if there are other people parked there, then I may have to park, you know, several car houses down. So now I'm ticked because how many times have I told those kids to get those bikes out of the driveway and put them where they're supposed to go in the garage and then when you get in the house the house is a wreck and your spouse has been home all day and so you say something unkind like have you done anything today and then you dodge a frying pan <laughs> what causes fights and quarrels desires. I want something. That thing I want was some peace and quiet. It was not a bad thing. But I want it so much that I'm willing to sin in its absence. That then is idolatrous. So some have said this, idols are often found in wanting good things too much. Or another way of putting it is when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing it's now a sinful thing. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, I have to have this. So here's the anatomy of an idol. Some of you have heard me give this in the past, but there are these eight, excuse me, six steps to the way these desires, these idolatrous desires come out. It starts with desires, wants. So first step is I want. That's the first step. I want or I desire. But then that desire, that want, maybe for a legitimate thing, moves from I, I just desire it to I need it. I want goes to I need. You convinced yourself that this is the thing, a thing I need. In fact, it goes beyond just even just a need. It goes to a third step. I must 
have whatever it is. And your mind is going to, you know what? I deserve this. Work all day. Making money for this family. I come home and I can't get in the garage and the place is a wreck. And, you know, and you're, talking, you're talking to yourself. That's all heart talk happening. I'm entitled to this. I want, I need, I must. But then this is how relationships come into the picture because the pronoun changes from I to you. Well, if this is something that I'm entitled to, if this is something that I must have, and if you care about me, if you're doing your job in this relationship, then here's the fourth step. You should. You should be doing everything you can to make sure that this thing happens. That the driveway is cleared off. That the house is cleaned up. That things are the way I desire them and, fra and fr frankly deserve them to be. You should. But clearly you didn't. That's step five. You didn't again. And the sixth step is you'll pay. If you didn't, you'll pay. So somehow, some way, I'm going to make that smart aleck comment to you, that unkind comment. I'm going to use the mouth that God gave me to bless in order to, to curse. And I don't mean swearing. I just mean harm rather than heal, rather than help. In some way, I'm going to make you pay and know my displeasure about this. And you're going to experience the pain that you're causing me that I don't deserve. So what are the consequences then of the behavior? That's number four. So you've got that tree and you've got the top of that barren tree there. What, are the effect, uh, what is the effect of your behavior is what it says. What's the consequence of your behavior? Well, fights and quarrels. And do you and do you notice the and do you notice the um, the arrow there? It just keeps happening. You just keep having this bad fruit, bad consequences. That's where m many people live day in and day out for years. The same junk over and over again. So sin is self-destructive. It affects you. It help, It affects others. The solution is in the middle, and that again is under the ground, and that is the, the cross. You've got to recognize and accept what we've said here about where the problem resides. The problem resides within. That's not to say that the kids shouldn't obey. They should. They need to be taught, they need to, be taught to obey, but they need to be taught to obey in a Christ-like manner, in a manner that, that loves them, rather than loves your desires and what they're getting in the way of. You know, your kids should obey even when it doesn't cause you inconvenience. <laughs> if the only time you want your kids to obey is when, he, when it causes you inconvenience, what are you communicating to your kids? You're communicating to them that you're the most important person in their life, one, and that this obedience thing only matters for pragmatic reasons, not because a good God has placed good authorities in your life for His good purposes, as many of you have heard me say about parenting. 
That's what we want to teach our, our kids. And so, we've got to recognize that all of that is true, that it is internal, it's a heart issue, and that the cross and a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus is what gives us a sense of identity and purpose in life that can allow us to overlook things. A relationship with God through Jesus is what gives us the ability to overlook stuff. Because suddenly that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is now my reflection on Him. How I'm reflecting Him to my family. How I'm reflecting Him to others. The cross defines your identity and your purpose in life. And because you now look at your circumstances and the heat, your situation, through the lens of the cross, a cross brought about by a sovereign God who planned the death of His Son before the world began, according to Scripture, and then moved heaven and earth, literally, in order to bring it about at just the right time in history. He did all of that, and He did all of that for you, and when you think about all of that, now your identity, your purpose in life is wrapped up in that and this God who loved you that much. And so I don't find my fulfillment, I don't find my identity and all that in comfort, in getting what I want. I find it in, in Him and in pleasing Him. And so I have new goals to live with integrity to know myself biblically as God sees me in, in Christ, to create a climate of grace in my relationships, forgive, be generous, to serve others. My ultimate goal in everything becomes to magnify Christ, to reflect Him back to Him and before others. And so all of that is wrapped up in what the gospel, the good news does. Bottom of the chart. Who is God and what does He say and do in Christ? Who is God and what does He say and do in Christ? So I see my idols. I see that it's an inside job. I repent of that. And instead of believing these false things that lead to this bad fruit and these consequences over and over again, I'm going in a different direction now because my heart has been captured by something else, no better than something else, by someone else. And then you see what happens on the left side of the page. All exactly the opposite. It doesn't mean that the kids all of a sudden start obeying. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that your spouse, notice how I say this, your spouse, and say your wife, Maybe it's the other way around in, in your house. But whoever's there, maybe they don't start cleaning up the way they're supposed to. Or the person who's supposed to cut the grass or take the garbage out or whatever it is they're supposed to do, maybe they don't start doing that. But what changes is your reaction to it. And because your reaction to it has changed radically at the root, now you can sow different kinds of relationships. 
Lord willing, it will have effect come full circle on the heat. Lord willing, it will change the, the circumstance. I'm not guaranteeing that, of course. I don't know that. But it will change you, and it will change your experience of what's happening in the heat, the circumstances, the situation of your life. Okay? So here's my last piece of advice. Do that. Okay? Take the chart. Live the chart. Memorize the chart. Do the chart. And then look at your watch and notice that it is noon. Straight up and we are done. So we're going to pray. Father, thank you for today again and the privilege of being able to be before you and in your presence and to worship you. I thank you for these brothers and sisters and friends who are here with an evident desire to learn what your word says about us, about you, about our circumstances. And Lord, thank you for caring enough to tell us. And I thank you for your servants who have distilled what you have taught in your word into things like this, this chart that can help us see where the gospel fits into our idolatrous reactions and, and how our identity and purpose having been found in the Lord Jesus changes those in radical ways and for your glory. And so help me, help us to identify the ways in which that's not happening, to bring praise to you in the ways that it is happening. May we implement these truths in our lives even this coming week, and may we indeed see good fruit for it, for your, for your glory. Grant us safety, we ask you, and bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.